Hi there. Do you like movies? Diverse opinions. Perspectives. Comparing films created in the same cultural movement. A jovial question and answer session among friends. Try Kai 9 is a single serving, that means short, movie critique podcast from underrepresented voices. We look at two movies made in the same year, as long as that year ends in nine. This all came about because so many of us realized that 1999 was like a banger year for movies, and there were just so many good ones, and we just wanted to talk about all of them all the time, and we decided we couldn't really do that, and we wanted to just compare some cool movies. So, who are we? I'm Linda. Um, I'm a non-binary person living in Beacon, um, and I write about film for Story Screen, and I just, my writing is out there in the universe, you can look me up, but... We also have on our podcast. I'm Bernadette Gorman-White. You might recognize my voice from hosting Cathode Raycast, another Story Screen Presents podcast. And I also work at Story Screen. I'm the managing editor of the website. I have a film studies degree. And I'm finally getting to put that to use, which is awesome. Nice. Uh, I'm Diana Demiro. I do not have a film studies degree, but I'm an avid fan. Uh, a frequent guest on many Story Screen Presents podcasts. I have yet to host, so it'll be fun to step into the, put my toe in the water. And yeah, thanks for having me. Totally. So yeah, we have some amazing podcasts coming out. Um, we're going to start in 1999, and some of the comparisons we're going to make include our first show, which will be The Phantom Menace versus Galaxy Quest. Yeah. I'm excited uh, to talk about Galaxy Quest because I saved this for the podcast, but uh, I haven't seen it until now. Whoa! So, oh my god. Virgin! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, coming up, we're definitely comparing other really fun movies, and I'm going to be hosting one sometime soon in the future with Election and Rushmore, and call it like the Teacher's Pet edition nice. of Tri-Kai 9. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are some other examples of movies that we... Oh, Jesus Christ. That's okay. We can redo it. Don't worry. There are some other examples of movies that we are probably or might do in the future, and they include... Uh, Some of those would be Sixth Sense and Blair Witch Project, Wild Wild West and Thirteenth Warrior, Lake Placid and the Deep Blue Sea. And we'll frequently kind of switch off. We'll have one moderator, two panelists... And we'll take a dive into these movies, talking about what works, what doesn't, and what could have been better. So uh, tune in. We This is going to be Try Kai 9 by Story Screen Presents. And I'm going to be Linda Cadega. Bernadette Gorman-White. Diana Demiro. Listen in! Woo! From Story Screen Presents, welcome to our first ever podcast of Try Kai 9, the eniatic single-serving movie podcast that compares movies made in the same year, as long as that year ends in the number nine. Today we have two science fiction zingers from 1999 that we're going to be digging into. A quick note, this podcast is going on the assumption that you've watched these movies. That means we're going into plot, characters, and everything else. If you haven't watched these movies, it's been like 20 years and we're not tagging spoilers. 
Thank you. Either you're into this podcast or you want to pause now, go watch these movies, come back. <laughs> yeah, it's in the title which movies we're talking about. Like you can, exactly. you'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> so, but here to int- introduce our sci-fi mind benders are Diana and Bernadette. Diana, please introduce our first film. All right. So, 1999 cult favorite Galaxy Quest. Um, the director is not somebody I'm super familiar with. Dean Parasot. But it's got an all-star cast. So before I get into the plot, um, this has, like, all your big players. It's got Tony Shalhoub, Monk. It's got Sir Alan Rickman, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. It's got Sigourney Weaver. It's got Tim Allen. It's got the dad from Veronica Mars, whose name <laughs> I actually always forget, so I looked it up. Enrico Coltiani. And it's got <laughs> Sam Rockwell in, in like, so an convincing. awesome extra character role and then just looking back you know not knowing that these people were really going to knock it out of the park in later years is pretty amazing um definitely if you watch this movie and you previously watched any star trek whatsoever you will be sold because it kind of goes based on the culture of being a fan of a, of a cult tv show um it kind of opens up with being at a convention and this cast of characters from a much loved show, Galaxy Quest, and them kind of riding that fame as much as they can into their adult years. And they're like a weird, dysfunctional family. They resent each other and they love each other. And the plot kind of just tips off with um, a bunch of supposed fans that actually are real live alien race from another planet <laughs> asking the commander played by Tim Allen to help them and he goes along thinking it's a fan event and not realizing that all of their episodes which have been broadcast over in space were believed to be historical documents so all of the episodes of their beloved TV show they think are cold hard truth and they want this team to help them and what happens at the end? Um, they actually come through and Ugh. deliver. They're actually helpful. They're, <laughs> they kind of get their, you know, spoiler alert, they get their shit together. They also have to reach out to their super geeky fan base to help them. Like recruiting a very young Justin Long. I'm a oh Mac. Oh my God, that's right. Into helping them, you know, figure out how to turn off the reactor and all this other stuff. So it's pretty awesome. It's pretty great. And it it literally ends with the film with the spaceship crash landing into a convention where they are ready to pop out and meet their fans and then go for their phase two later years reboot of Galaxy Quest, which is a happy ending for them. So it's pretty good. It's great. Pretty solid. And and it's got some great dialogue. Oh, it does. It's (laughs) absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And And our second film. All right, so uh, the the second film we're comparing and also just talking about, uh, other than Galaxy Quest, is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Dun, dun, dun. Mouthful. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> obviously. Memories. Memories, big time. Uh, this film was obviously long awaited by some, long not awaited by others. Some people <laughs> were not very happy that they were diving back into the Star Wars universe to tell the story of the prequel years leading up to episode four. So everyone's very familiar with that original trilogy of Star Wars. Uh, 
Phantom Menace picks up years before and really the main players we really only have four main players i think in this film mm-hmm. so you have liam neeson playing Gwagon Jin, you have ewan mcgregor playing a very young old ben Woo-hoo! young ben young obi-wan ben. kenobi uh you have natalie portman with in a, a braid yeah with a braid with, with a, a braid padawan braid. Tail. <laughs> oh my god my brother had that haircut I, I braided his hair every morning before school <laughs> Yes. He loved it. That's so silly, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You have Natalie Portman playing Queen Amidala, who isn't really touched on that much in the original trilogy at all. Uh, Very interesting role. She plays kind of like this dual role where she plays this character named Padme, and then you find out later that she's Queen Amidala. And then you have... (gasps) (gasps) And then you have a young Jake Lloyd playing young Anakin Skywalker, who really, this was like one of his first major roles. I think I've only seen him in one other movie called Madison. Mm. Uh, it's about like a regatta. I don't think I've seen him in anything. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't blow up Squeaky the way voice. he maybe should have right. or maybe shouldn't have because sure. of this movie. But uh, so episode one, you find these two young-ish Jedi and they are trying to negotiate this trade conflict between these <gasps> a political drama a political drama in my sci-fi yes. uh, you have the republic <laughs> and the federation and they're trying to negotiate this trade war and the jedi are kind of just coming in to help negotiate this situation Ooh. but then they find kind of like a plot of intrigue where there's a lot of deception <gasps> someone's trying to overturn a seat in the senate you <laughs> You have all kinds of backstabbing going on. Just hearing it back from you was just like, what, what were we thinking? I mean, I rewatched it this Senator morning. Palpatine! <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. And uh, then you have this really cool encounter where these two Jedi end up on a different planet that they didn't foresee themselves on. And they find this young boy who's very Force-sensitive has the highest midi-chlorian count they've ever seen. That word. And they decide <laughs> to recruit him it's against better judgment so and silly. maybe start training him to become a Jedi. a Jedi. And that's really like what you mostly get out of this movie. Yeah. And Child I actually Jedi. liked it more than what I remembered liking it in the first place. I watched it again today with fresh eyes. Yeah. And I had a I had a good time with it, and I think it's because so much was writing on it at the time. It can be really but fun. It, yeah. Did Jar Jar Binks show up in this one? Jar Jar Binks is in this mm. one. I tried to skirt around that. But, but yeah, you have this weird but gun not gun as heavily as later. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have uh, the plot on Naboo where Queen Amidala's people are kind of at odds with this other group of this other race of creatures called the gun guns and there's a lot of discord on that planet and they're called gun guns <laughs> yeah we just we just have to like move like move really through this past, like yeah. the racial implications the, the like, misa yeah Ooh. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's about yeah like plotting a truce between those two people so you see a lot of disconnect but you also see a lot of unity at the end mm-hmm but yeah, through all of this like terrible other stuff that went into the writing and directing, which was all George Lucas. What? So, George Lucas did everything? He did everything. That's bonkers. It Why was would his you baby. do everything? I don't know. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> all right. 
right. So obviously we're comparing Galaxy Quest and uh, Phantom Menace. And there's a lot to talk about in these films, but I think what I want to focus on... Hello, I'm the moderator today. I'm Linda. And... (laughs) the moderator um we're gonna focus on the cliches and tropes and how they were used or not used in each piece of media okay yeah so i did warn bernadette and diana before this like that this was gonna happen but they don't know like what i'm asking them so fingers crossed they can think on their feet i know we'll see well i'll like we can like stall (laughs) (laughs) i can stall so galaxy let's start with galaxy quest galaxy quest was obviously a spoof on all the other sci-fi properties that came before it battlestar galactica star trek and star wars like it's all here Star Trek features the most prominently as a subject of the satire, but they also draw on basically any kind of sci-fi opera that that occurred in the 70s and 80s. Phantom Menace, on the other hand, turned into like a slow, almost universally reviled movie. Like, not a lot of positive critics like came out in favor of this movie afterwards. And uh, it just sort of like... Unless you were a child who hadn't seen the old ones. That's true. Like if you, if were you a grew kid, up on those, you were into it. Yeah, I mean, if you were a kid, you don't have taste, so... But that just... kid was not me. Yeah. <laughs> Nor was it me. Yeah, I mean, it, it became like part drag race, but like mostly political drama. It was just like, whatever. And Lucas actually, I went back and I looked, and George Lucas during the interviews, during the press for that time, said that he, he wanted to make sure that his film, and I quote... Wasn't like any other films. Mm. Like, so he, like, did this very intentionally. Lofty goals. Intentionally. So my first question for both of you guys, and this is like a slow ball. Which film did you enjoy more and why? Like when I first saw it? Just just in general? Yeah. Which do you enjoy more? All right. You want to go ahead? Yeah. I... I think Galaxy Quest, now that I've seen it and known about it for so many years and just not gotten to it yet, I I enjoy that type of movie a lot more than I enjoy a typical sci-fi, especially when it comes to pinning so many things and lore and then trying to avoid doing the same movie that you're doing a prequel for. Right. Uh, You're doing a prequel for an expanded universe. Like, what? (laughs) Uh, I'll say that I like Star Wars, don't get me wrong, but it took until The Last Jedi, which did a bunch of really strange things for that world, that I was like, yeah, that's a Star Wars movie for me. So I really like Galaxy Quest for that reason. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that it had all of these characters who we might get into later. I loved that I was watching like a bunch of people who went on to play other iconic space people and other things. Yeah. So it kind of felt like a class reunion. Like I was watching like them in high school and then now I can see like what they've gone on to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really enjoyed the farce of it and the critique of it too. Totally. Yeah, I would I would have to say I'm pretty on board with that. I'm a huge Star Wars fan of original recipe Star Wars. Grew up watching those all the time. Mm-hmm. So I found Phantom Menace really annoying when I first saw it. I really liked the what? drag race scenes, but I didn't like the whiny kid voice and the metachlorians all the time. <laughs> the um, I thought it was really awesome to watch Ewan McGregor fight and be young Obi-Wan, I was down with that. I was down for um, that too, for sure. But partly I just, I love Ewan McGregor, so I was like yeah. into that idea regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do really love like having watched like 
Star Trek Next Generation with my dad growing up and like those types of shows. Um, I kind of like the camaraderie and like the humor of sort of like a sitcom-y type sci-fi show. Yeah. And this movie kind of plays on that, which is great. So, yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. So I promise this is not going to be like a hate on the Phantom Menace. No, it's not. No, there's some good, there's some fun (laughs) stuff in there. I swear. Cool. So my first, my first like real like question, and we can take long pauses, you think. Um... (laughs) Tropes are often used to set up expectations of narrative for the audience. Is there any point during these films where you felt like that expectation never arrived? And then were you ever surprised by the way that a trope was fulfilled? And was that like negative or positive? Um, Just sort of as an example, like for me, like the chosen one trope is always like really like... I never really like it. And I thought it would be cool if, like, the Chosen One's actually, like, a small child who can't really do much. And then at the end, I was just like, all right, I guess. Like, sure. Chosen One. It, it just, like, it wasn't fulfilling for me. Like, I didn't feel like it was he was cool enough or interesting enough. And, of yeah. course, that's, like, the nature of one of three movies where you just sort of have to set it up. But, but I, 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 I love you and McGregor yelling, but you were the Chosen One. That's not until later. So. <laughs> I know. But yeah, that was definitely like a trope that I saw in The Phantom Menace. I was just like, oh, bummer. Yeah, and they really nail it home, too, with the fact that Shmi, his mother, says, I don't know how he was conceived. Yeah, that's what But weird. I carried him and I birthed him. I know. I'm like, come on. And we don't need him to be Jesus. Right, exactly. <laughs> we don't need a, a Jesus Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, any other tropes that you saw during these films that you were that like at the end of it you were surprised about the way that the trope played out in the movie? Hmm. I don't think uh Galaxy Quest was quite surprising at all, mm-hmm. but very, very enjoyable. And I think I really latched on to the trope of like the woman being useless on the ship. Yes. And the fact that yeah. she just repeats what the computer says. That is pretty was great. very funny to me to see her say like this is my one job. This is what I was scripted to do, and I'm it. gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved that, like the yeah, exploration right. of how terrible sci-fi is to women. Plus, like knowing how smart and awesome Sigourney Weaver is is pretty, and you know, badass in all the Alien movies. It's kind of she fun Ripley, like. to see her just being like, "My boobs are popping out," and they want <laughs> they just want to make me a new outfit, and they want to know whether the commander and I are in love, and like. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I do like the way that that kind of works itself out for sure. It's a great thing about satire where you can actually like take parts of like the best, th- like take parts of films that you really don't like and just be like, this is dumb. I hate it. But also like laugh at yourself like while you're doing it. Right. Because, like, yeah, Sigourney Weaver like was in like her bra at the end of it. Yeah. And that was like it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not really a trope, but I kind of like the, um, like, I love the character that Alan Rickman plays because I love the idea of, like, you know, it's the same with, like, John Luke Picard, Sir Patrick Stewart. It's like these overqualified Shakespearean theater actors then getting known, most well known for, like, one line or one character that they're not really that proud of and then being sick of it and then like having a fit and then later on just going back to it. So I kind of love that, you know, that arc is pretty great. So. And it's a self-fulfilling mm-hmm. narrative now that like 
Picard is going to be on the air soon. Oh, man, I can't. I'm, I'm waiting for those. I'm like, yeah, send me some short tracks. I want to watch this. Yeah. What about, uh, is there one in, like, The Phantom Menace that you can, like, pick out? Like, a trope that you either didn't like or saw, like, played out? Again, the, one of the reasons that it's hard to find, like, these kinds of tropes is because, like, Lucas was so intent on, this isn't like any other film. And we're just like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's a bad trope of... Oh boy, Jar Jar Binks. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, those those are the ones that really didn't pan out. I mean, he was probably pretty excited about the use of all the graphics and the animation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those were like the voices and actual story that didn't pan out. <laughs> or just once you saw it, you were cringy. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, no, thank you. So I think uh, a negative trope that he exploits in Phantom Menace is... I don't know how you could watch that film now. And I think it's just because I was a, as a child, I didn't realize that Palpatine was, you know, the senator, but also the Sith who's oh, training Darth Maul. Right. And so I guess I feel like that was like fairly okay for a kid's perspective to be that double-sided coin mm-hmm. playing both fields. But now as an adult, like that really falls short. Like it's very clear that it's him. So I don't really. I think the audience. Yeah, you're is, like everyone's really dumb. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> super dumb. And how did that play out? Like this doesn't make sense as yeah. an adult watching this now. Especially like with all the technology they're supposed to have, you don't think that they would realize like Palpatine is an evil Sith Lord. Like where did he train for years that people were just like he was just on retreat? Don't yeah. worry about it. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. So bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely bizarre. But also say that, like, you know, and this kind of goes on to um like the 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 next two, episode two and three, but like setting it up with Natalie Portman being, you know, you know going to be the love interest for this child is kind of gross and oh, weird. So like weird. It's uncomfortable and then later on when they're supposedly closer in age it's still like not whether it's just bad acting there's not a lot of believability that there's love there so you're just like because a man wrote it yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's i hate sand <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my god <laughs> i know there's only five years difference between the two of them and i know that because of the weird owl song Oh, <laughs> yeah! I will say, The Phantom Menace Goddess, the saga begins by Weird Al, so I'm into that. Yeah, <laughs> some good did come out of it. Yeah. All right, so, second question. Um, sometimes after a film ends, we're left with an attachment to, like, a single character, or even an archetype that we've enjoyed the most throughout the film. And for me, this was Ray Park's exceptionally tropetastic Darth Maul. Oh, so good. Yeah. Like, out of all the characters, if I could only keep one character from The Phantom Menace, Darth Maul, man. Yeah. Like, he's a definition of the mysterious silent alien assassin. He's red and black, which means he's nothing is more dangerous than red and black. Like, we know when he shows up, we're just like, ooh. His fight scenes are awesome. This this son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's like, a whole dissertation somewhere about, like, the people who, like, wield weapons in both hands as, like, being more dangerous and sneaky. As, like very acrobatic. Oh, gosh, I love him so much. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, like, that's... When a certain archetype is fulfilled, there's, like, a feeling of great satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if there's, like, ever a time in these films where you felt like a character arc wasn't satisfying because it didn't follow enough tropes. Like, it didn't it didn't go through the 
cliched to the fully complete like final evolution because i mean ray park darth maul he does it man he goes and he kills qui-gon jet that he's revenged like he yeah. immediately dies and i'm just like damn that bitch lived <laughs> and then that bitch died and it was great so i'm just wondering if there are any other character you can think of that like the the whole character arc like finished and you were just like very good very very good <laughs> just like this everyone forever <laughs> i think i would say not so good for qui-gon because i i just felt like it wasn't as satisfying as watching obi-wan kenobi in the original trilogy um i was sort of always like oh liam neeson is an awesome actor this is gonna be great but then i was sort of like eh, this could be a little better Mm-hmm. Or just, like, maybe not enough time. I'm like, oh, he's already dead? What now? Yeah. You know, like, it didn't feel like enough happened with him. There wasn't mm-hmm. enough tension. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I can say, and maybe I'm just, like, standing up playing devil's advocate in this role, but uh, the only thing that I picked up on now that I hadn't when I originally watched it was the fact that, very similarly, how old Ben takes a fall in front of Luke and Luke can do anything about it. Right. Qui-Gon takes the fall in front of Obi-Wan himself. Totally. And so that mirroring was very cool, but also felt a little sloppy to see, like, literally Qui-Gon Jinn take a hit to the nose. Right. And then that makes him so disarmed that he gets, like, speared through the chest. It was just... Maybe lame. maybe the choreography wasn't good for that particular part of that fight scene. Right. Yeah, well, but I understood the symbolism, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Wasn't great. Yeah. I'm with you. No. Yeah. It could have been a lot more, definitely. Yeah. I think that just that whole third act of that film is very rushed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for Galaxy Quest for me it was when um Who was the commander? The commander in Galaxy Quest. Oh, Tim Allen? Tim Allen's character. Uh-huh. Oh, that guy? Home Improvement? <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> that's, yeah. an, that's another podcast, ladies. Yeah, that is. So I, w- I watch that a lot. I don't know why. It's just on when I was young, so. JTT, man. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. So, so was perfect. So that, that character, I didn't like, I liked a lot of his arc throughout the film, but, like, I think at the very end where, like, he gets to be the hero after all. Uh, like when he, I think he's the one who shoots like the the alien at the very end. He does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was annoying to me. I would have loved to like the 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 gun had jammed and someone else had to like swoop in and save him. Right. So I think that final like uh, aggregate climax where he like actually does get to be the hero, mm. like officially be the hero. I felt that wasn't quite as satisfying as I would have liked. I would have preferred something else like I would have preferred a different ending a different like completion to his arc like I felt like he needed humility and he never actually got there I guess like he does take the time it's probably small but at the very end to like get his whole cast to take a bow and be like it's all of us and Mm -hmm. that's sort of like the first time he's probably done that as a character it's supposed to be that he's kind of self-absorbed so that's good but yeah I hear that I hear that yeah, I definitely found him the least interesting yeah. out of everyone in that cast, for sure. And I think you're supposed to think that. I think the other people are yeah. more interesting. He's very much like a William Shatner kind of character, exactly. for sure. Yeah. It's pretty fun, though. God, I yeah. love William Shatner so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it would have been cool to see, like, the Missy Pyle alien, like, take care of the problem that she recruited the humans to take care of. And she yeah. was like, well, I did it. 
That would have been cool. Mm-hmm. But maybe like a little too ahead of its time and not really quite what the movie was going for. Yeah. Maybe. On a, on a grand scheme. Yeah. Possibly. <laughs> All right. Let's think. Something I would have liked to have seen just explore just a bit more was Tony Shalhoub's character. Like, oh, he's in, great. He in the show. so funny. It seemed like he had like an Asian name, like his character. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, is he supposed to be like Asian in the show? But then like, you find out, no, he's like a Caucasian man. So one thing sure. that Mike told me that I didn't know when I saw the movie originally was like, I guess that his character was written as being kind of high most of the time during that during the movie i don't know whether it was supposed to be during the show but during the movie it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be like he's sort of dialing it in at these trekkie events and he's like a little stoned because there is like one moment where um uh what's his name is is like are you high and and it was like I guess they sort of cut some of that out to make it more family friendly. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, knowing that now, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense. Like, there's just a couple of times where he's like, I don't know what you're saying. You know, like, yeah, you know, he, like, he's like very, oh, like, that makes more sense. Where he's much more go with the flow yeah. than like any human should be. But yeah. I'm like, yeah, yes. if I was totally stoned, this is exactly what I would do. I'd be like, yeah, man, let's, let's do the thing. Kill some aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's where the squinty eyes came from. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It does. I thought it was a commentary on something else entirely, but it was definitely noticeable and questionable to me. Questionable. While I watched it. I know. I just, I never really picked up on that when I was younger. I was always just like, oh, he's just a little weird. (laughs) His delivery is very dry. Just a a little odd. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Another question. Uh, Lucas set out to create a film that, and I quote, wasn't like any other film. Um, he really intended to create something using CGI and his own universe to like show people, whereas Ga- Galaxy Quest took every universe and just like pushed it all together. And, and the question here is like with re- with relation to like cliches and tropes, what sense of familiar na- familiarity? The question here, with relation to cliches and tropes, is what sense of familiarity and attachment do we have to certain universes and certain expectations as fans? And what sense of obligation do creators have to uphold that universe in order to create an enjoyable film? For example, in Galaxy Quest, they didn't really introduce anything super new that we weren't familiar with. It's like, oh, it's a ship. It's an angry alien ship obviously like they're they're gonna fight right there wasn't really much most of the plot happens on one deck from one viewpoint yeah for most of the movie yeah and like i think galaxy quest like knew like it's a very smart film like i say that and i know that people are just gonna be like galaxy quest is smart i'm like it's smart like it, it did what it did really well and it knew that, like, if it wanted to succeed, it couldn't really introduce a ton of new places and universes. So the one place they end up is, like, where the, like, evil little green goblin monsters, like, turn from, like, cute little adorable marshmallow babies to, like, blub thirsty, like, <laughs> vampire-sucking, like, demon creatures. And even that is just, like, oh, we we know exactly what's happening. Like, we see the cute little marshmallow babies and we're just, like... No, 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 no. Don't don't pet those. Don't take them home. And it's just, yeah, there's obviously, like, what what needs do we as fans have when it comes to new universes and, like, new experiences? And what 
do the creators owe to fans in order to create that like expectation in order to create that like comfortable comfortable familiarity in the setting enough to like enjoy a movie and still like take in everything i guess at this point in my life when i watch something that has to do with other life the less humanoid the better for me personally Mm -hmm. And so watching something like The Phantom Menace, seeing everything be so humanoid is almost like a little distracting. It almost seems like they're not exploring the creativity enough. Right. And also to have a world where things are so heavily CGI, but then also have Yoda that's like clearly still a puppet. Like that just doesn't mesh well to me. And so that kind of takes me out of a film to a certain respect. But then... uh, On the other hand, with Galaxy Quest, I really liked that the most it tried to be non-humanoid was with the rock creature. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, shoot it here. And he was like, he doesn't have that. Right. (laughs) And that's what I like. And I like that they explored it even just the smallest amount. But also, in the grand scheme of things, I think as a fan, the people who make the work don't really owe me anything. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't think that means that I can't critique it on some level just based on my enjoyment of the film. Mm -hmm. But I know, yeah, Phantom Menace was a little distracting at times because they tried to not explore further out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would say definitely I feel like this question applies more heavily to the Star Wars films because it's kind of like, you know, it could be a difference of opinion with people who have seen them, but even like some of the newer ones, Last Jedi, um, you know, Force Awakens, like those sort of pay a little bit of homage to things and are respectful of kind of like the tone, but they still go into new stuff, which is cool. Um, and I like that they're not like exactly the same. Um, I like that that's changing a little bit and definitely. I think you want to have something familiar as a fan to latch onto that gives you that kind of nostalgia for what you like to begin with. Mm -hmm. But you don't want it to just be exactly the same. Then it's boring. So, you know, it's sort of that's a weird fine line where you want the director to be able to try something new, but you also want them to to be a fan themselves. You you want to see that they either like it or they respect it. Um, That's a lot to ask. Mm -hmm. It's just... I just suddenly remembered Quentin Tarantino directing Star Trek. Oh. Supposedly. God. Rumored. I thought he was done. We, we just yeah. got to. He has ooh. one more. We got Supposedly. Of course he does. We just got to back right off that real quick. Yeah. I still don't think that will actually happen. God, I hope not. Chris Pine deserves better. Uh, well, the Star Trek thing, sure. But I think Tarantino is just going to keep making things. I don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Last, last question here. Um. Galaxy Quest is obviously a satire. Right. Um, Very clearly, like, the uniforms are from Star Trek, the ship is from Star Trek, the the layout is from Star Trek, it's all from Star Trek. Um, I want, actually, I have two more questions. Can you guys recall a single thing from Galaxy Quest that they might have taken from Star Wars? Hmm. Like the original Star Wars films? Uh, Let me think about that. Not off the top of my head. Yeah, neither can I, which I think is, like, really fascinating that they, like, I I still feel that Star, Star Wars influence on it, mm-hmm. but I can't point to, like, something that I'm just like, oh, that's Star Wars. Right. Yeah. I feel like when I rewatch it, I, I definitely, it hammers home that it's a little bit more Star Trek 
for sure, or at least more obvious. Right. But, uh, hmm, that's a good point. Yeah, I think because the original trilogy of Star Wars is so nature-based that it's really hard to get into that when Mm -hmm. they're exploring something so heavily set, whether it's in a convention hall or it's on a particular starship. Yeah. And even like the when they land on the planet and it's like desert planet, that still also feels very like Star Star Trek based. That's the desert outside of L.A. We all know that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe the fact that there are like these forging small creatures is a little Star Warsy, but that's also something that's explored in Star Trek as well. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, if, if anyone if anyone listening can point to like anything in Galaxy Quest that like directly relates to Star Wars, uh, that'd be really rad. Talk, mm-hmm. talk to us about it. All right, absolutely last question. I promise. <laughs> we all know Galaxy Quest is a satire. Do you think that the Phantom Menace was also a satire in a way? Could it be perceived as a satire now, like by a modern audience? And do you think that if we view The Phantom Menace from the lens of a satirical film that's, like, making a comment on, like, other Star Wars films, does it make it a better film? Or does it just, like, we still didn't really super enjoy it, so it's, like, still not good. But could it be, is it better when you think of it as, like, a commentary rather than something that stands on its own? Hmm. I don't think it was meant to be a satire. I think George Lucas is pretty damn earnest in his work, but I think it was unintentionally funny at certain parts. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Burn, what yeah, you thinking? Definitely. I agree with you. I think uh, it's shocking that no one in any room that George Lucas was in while he was writing the Gun Gun characters, why there weren't red flags thrown up about yeah. that race. It's very bizarre to me, but if you look at it more through, like, a farcical lens where they're, like, I don't know, the Three Stooges, you know, through a very refined comedy lens, it does become a more enjoyable film. But the fact that, as you said, he is very earnest, I don't think he meant for that to come across that way. Yeah. And that's the troubling part. Yeah. It's no space balls. No. Oof, another good space comedy. Or Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy. No. Or, another yeah. Another yeah. Cool. I yeah. think, yeah, maybe trying to view it now as a satire maybe would make me like certain things better. But, yeah. yeah. Kind of like, if if you can go back and just sort of, like, death of the author, George Lucas, like, his intention doesn't matter. And you can just view it as, like, yes, this was, like, a... a a commentary on the expectations that we set for him as fans and the commentary on like the original trilogy. Like, yes, I get it. Galaxy brain. Like it, it, I don't know. It may or may not make sense, but it's also like you could look, I'm pretty sure that you could like write a whole book on how like the Phantom Menace is actually like a metatextual critique of not only sci-fi films, but his own work. And just being like, let me tell you how much I hate the fans. <laughs> and I was like, boom. Part of me thinks the way menace. to go, though, is like to not, you know, compare it to the other films and just be like, all right, if I just go into this thinking like these movies are standalone, maybe I'll enjoy it more if I try to not compare it to the older ones. I'm like, hey, this could just be this plot about this weird kid. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but it is a hard thing to do when yeah. you have that history 
beforehand, so. Yeah, I mean, again, I think I think for me, like, the biggest disappointment was, like, the chosen one cliche. It just, like, oh, Anakin, you were the chosen one. Just didn't pan out. That whole film, like, kept hammering it home. Like, you just flew a, you just flew, like, a, a little weird speed racer through a desert for, like, 40 minutes. I don't understand how now you're the chosen one. <laughs> it was just bonkers. But yeah, that's, um, if anyone else has, like, any, any other comments about cliches, tropes, narrative structure, sci-fi. Yeah. I think maybe The Last Jedi now is a commentary on that chosen one question. Because, that's true. yeah, now yeah. in The Last Jedi, they're basically saying anyone can help. Right. There Shouldn't is matter. no, no thing as the chosen one right it doesn't have to be that she's descendant of so-and-so right so maybe he really regrets it (laughs) yeah is now taking the time to rework what he had set up it's hard too though because you don't know going forward if they're gonna backpedal on that or not but i hope they they don't because it was cool agreed don't ruin it i hope they don't get cold feet Yeah, yeah just keep going i agree but we'll see yeah we will see. That's the, that's the beauty. We will literally see. Yeah. Christmas time. Oh, God. I need to start planning my costume. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. So this has been Try Kai 9, an Eniatic Moody podcast. We just, today we discussed Galaxy Quest, Phantom Menace, cliches. I'm your host, Linda Codega. I'm Bernadette Gorman-White. Diana Jamiro. And again, from Stories Green Presents, we are Try Kai 9. Join us next time. Bye. 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 By Grabthar's hammer. What a savings. <laughs>